thank you, Leslie and Paul, and good to see you all here this morning. I just about slipped, said this afternoon again, didn't I? But it's this morning. Let's take our Bibles uh, this morning and let's turn to Acts chapter 15. Uh, we come to a section that probably is about 20 years after the beginning of Pentecost. Um, this is like the church unfolding. It's been unfolded and now we come to a crux. It's a question that literally is with us today. This is really now, Paul, I don't know if you spoke about you know, things that are happening internationally today. I mean, there's crazy stuff going on. There's war, right? And there's war before this war. There's going to be war until the very end. War is war, and it's going to continue. But I want to tell you something. In chapter 15 of Acts is literally the same section that is the war at the soul of men and women. It's what it's all about. How can a man or woman be saved? Or a child as well. How do you get saved? If you get the wrong answer to that question, you're in deep trouble for a really long time, like forever. So this is something that's happened. 20 years after Pentecost, the beginning of the church, there's been a first missionary journey. Let me maybe pop up that map on the wall. And we're, we'll see literally the gospel is spreading through the world. It's going, it's going crazy. And yet there's always the enemy coming in behind, thwarting fear and a new message, different message. That's what this is about. So let's read together. Acts chapter 15, we'll begin at verse 1. Uh, before, though, uh, I would just like to go um, verse 27, 28 of chapter 14, because it's the completion, the finalization of the first missionary journey. And it's said this way. When they were come, verse 27, verse, chapter 14, verse 27, when they were come and had gathered the church together, they rehearsed all that God had done with them and how he had opened the door of faith unto the Gentiles. And there they abode long time with the disciples. Chapter 15, verse 1. And certain men which came down from Judea caught, taught the brethren and said, Except you be circumcised after the manner of Moses, you cannot be saved. When therefore Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension and disputation with them, they determined that Paul and Barnabas and certain other of them should go up to Jerusalem unto the apostles and elders about this question. And being brought on their way by the church, they passed through Phoenice and Samaria, declaring the conversion of the Gentiles, and they caused great joy unto all the brethren. And when they were come to Jerusalem, they were received of the church and of the apostles and elders, and they declared all things that God had done with them. But there arose up certain of the sect of the Pharisees, which believed, saying, that it was needful to circumcise them and to command them to keep the law of Moses." The apostles and elders came together for to consider of this matter. When there had been much disputing, Peter rose up and said unto them, Men and brethren, you know how that a good while ago God made choice among us that the Gentiles by my mouth should hear the word of the gospel and believe. And God, which knoweth the hearts, bear them witness, giving them the Holy Ghost, even as he did unto us, and put no difference between us and them, purifying their hearts by faith." Now, therefore, why tempt you God to put a yoke upon the neck of the disciples, which neither our fathers nor we were able to bear? But we believe that through the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, we shall be saved even as they. Then all the multitude kept silence and gave audience to Barnabas and Paul, declaring what miracles and wonders God had brought among the Gentiles by them. 
And after they had held their peace, James answered, saying, Men and brethren, hearken unto me. Simeon hath declared how God at the first did visit the Gentiles, to take out of them a people for his name. And to this agree the words of the prophets, as it is written, After this I will return and will build again the tabernacle of David, which is fallen down, and I will build again the ruins thereof, and I will set it up. That the residue of men might seek after the Lord and all the Gentiles, upon whom my name is called, saith the Lord, who doeth all these things. Known unto God are all his works from the beginning of the world. Wherefore my sentence is that we trouble not them which from among the Gentiles are turned to God, but that we write unto them that they abstain from pollutions of idols, from fornication, from things strangled, and from blood. For Moses of old time hath in every city them that preach him, being read in the synagogues every Sabbath day. Then pleased it the apostles and elders with the whole church to send chosen men of their own company to Antioch with Paul and Barnabas, namely Judas, surnamed Barsabbas, and Silas, chief men among the brethren. And they wrote letters by them after this manner. And the apostles and the elders and the brethren send greeting unto the brethren, which are of the Gentiles in Antioch and Syria and Cilicia, forasmuch as we have heard that certain which went that which, I'm sorry, which went out from us, have troubled you with words, subverting your soul, saying, You must be circumcised and keep the law, to whom we gave no such commandment. It seemed good unto us, being assembled with one accord, to send chosen men unto you with our beloved Barnabas and Paul, men that have hazarded their lives for the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. We have sent therefore Judas and Silas, who shall also tell you the same things by mouth. For it seemed good to the Holy Ghost and to us to lay upon you no greater burden than these necessary things, that you abstain from meats offered to idols, from blood and from things strangled, and from fornication, from, from which if you keep yourselves, you shall do well. Fare thee well. May God add a special blessing to the reading of his word. And let's just pause for prayer before we begin our study together. Father God, a privilege to be here gathered around your word, to have like brothers and sisters in Christ, those that have trusted Christ for their salvation. Father, speak to us through the Word using the Holy Spirit exclusively, that He would be our teacher today. Father, we're excited to learn more from You and to have our hearts turned even closer towards You, that relationally, Father, we would ask that we will never have been closer than these moments as we're gathered here today on a beautiful, creative day that You've allowed us to be a part of. Father, we think of those today that are even amongst us in this midst that may have struggles and trials that they're not even able to speak of, things that are too deep, too hurtful, too overwhelming. But Father, wrap Your arms of love around that person. They would know beyond a shadow of a doubt, You are God. You are Lord. You are sovereign. You are above all. There's nothing more powerful than You are. Father, calm them with that, that their peace that passes all understanding would capture that person. Father, we'll ask that peace also envelop us as we are detailed in the Word, looking for guidance, direction, and to ultimately glorify You in it. These things we ask in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Amen. Chapter 15 of uh, Acts. <clears throat> we did not read it in its entirety, but we read the section that would compose itself around a very, very important question. How are you saved? Um, if you would ask that and pose that question around the world or you get on the Internet or you would ask that question, which may not, I didn't try it, but it would be amazing the different answers that you would probably receive. Uh, but more than likely, uh, what would happen is they may even have part of it correct, but it's the sense of addition that makes it more complicated and actually then makes it wrong. Um, 
as many of you know, that uh, the book, the epistle, or the first one written of, of Paul's letters was the letter to Galatians. And if you take a look at our map, um, you'll see Galatia in the, let me see, that's in here, right? See if I can master it today. Oh, look at this. It's going to work for me today. How about that? You see the word Galatia right there? The, 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 the epistle of Galatians was obviously written to that region. Well, if you go down into this area, you'll see some of these same names, uh, Antioch of Pisidia. You'll see Iconium, Lystra, Derby. All of those areas that were visited from Perga, they went north. All of those areas were visited initially on the first missionary journey by Paul and Barnabas. Uh, also, Cyprus would have been involved in that journey as well. But it's interesting. It's just like Satan today even. Where truth comes, the enemy follows. To either corrupt, to thwart, to hide, to, guide, or to, to blind, or to make irrelevant. Uh, today, it's amazing how effective it's been. There are people today that actually do not even believe that Jesus Christ was a historical figure. If you can believe that, that's how messed up our world in the sense of historical data and accuracy has become. They don't even believe he lived. And yet, just take your time. We're 2023 A.D., A.D. after Christ. Uh, hello. <laughs> and if you were before Christ, it was B.C. He is the one that split time. He's the one that literally defined when salvation happened, when he came and took care of business. And that's what this is about, the gospel of Jesus Christ. At any rate, uh, following right behind these guys, and now we're finding in chapter 15, verse 2, uh, verse 1, is the fact that they have returned back to Antioch, not of Pisidia, but Antioch of Syria. This was home base for the church to the Gentiles. This is where it really was. I would just say that's the best way to describe it. This was home base. This is where the Gentile church was literally sprung up, and it was base. It was base point. They were there for a long time, and Jews from Judah, or they were more affectionately, disaffectionately known in Galatia as Judaizers. These were the ones that came with a message from Judea. They came to Antioch of Syria and said this just as it's described. Jesus Christ is okay, but you have to be circumcised to be saved. Um, sounds, and, and granted, that message today across America, it doesn't really mean anything. But the point of the matter still is, how are you saved? Uh, does that mean that it's faith? They were, they were contending that it was faith plus circumcision. equal salvation. Okay, now you can add anything to that, literally today. You can go, we could, we have a tendency of going works, okay, we could, we could put that in parenthesis. Faith plus works equals salvation. That message is sold far and wide, and it's done over the guise of tradition. There are churches today, I use that word carefully, because it really isn't a church. A cult is something that would detour from the fact that it's faith in Jesus Christ alone equals salvation, period. You put a big period behind that. Have you seen that? I had a teacher, period. You know, he, he wanted to make a point, right? We could do that. Anytime you add anything to faith, anything, then guess what? You lose grace. Grace alone equals salvation. That's what this whole thing is about. So they come north. They're going to Antioch. They're going around saying, you, you guys got to start but without circumcision, you're not saved. 
Now, how would that work if you were a Gentile? Just found Jesus Christ. Literally, Jesus Christ found you. You've accepted the word cometh by, uh, faith cometh by hearing, hearing by the word of God. You've heard the word of God. You've heard Paul and Barnabas speak about salvation. As it's described in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, Christ died for our sins. He was buried according to the scriptures. He rose again according to the scriptures and appeared to many. One of which was even his half-brother James, who spoke in this passage. That was when I think, when James, when the lights went on. When the lights went on. How would you like, apparently, for the first 30 years of James's life, thereabouts, well, I should say maybe a little less than that. He was younger than Jesus, but you get the idea. How would you like to have grown up in the house of Jesus, Mary being the mother? And Joseph apparently must have died earlier. Uh, he was not around in Jesus' death. But at any rate, knowing that James would have been a fellow brother in the family of Jesus and didn't believe him. You know, he was out of his mind. You can, I can go to scriptures and prove that. The whole family thought he was crazy. But I'll tell you something. When you die and your mother... Mary was standing at the foot of the cross, saw him dead, saw him buried. And when your brother appears to you alive in a resurrected body, I think you will see the light. <laughs> That's the James that is head of the church right now. He's the one that wrote the book of James, what I call reality book, rubber meets the road. You want to get real Christianity hitting the roads? Read James. James leaves nothing to imagine. Boom, it's right there. It puts you right in, in the real world. There's three people that are going to speak to this in this Council of Jerusalem. Now, what's happened now is there's a great dissent. Make no mistake, I've got, I've, got, I've got the word written war. It came as a result of what Stephen happened last day or so. This is war. This is Satan declaring war against grace. It is. And it's still going on. When I run into somebody on the street or wherever it might be, in an airport or an airplane, whatever it might be, and anybody that adds anything to faith in Christ alone, it is war for their soul. I'm sorry if I'm a little over the top today, but this is really, the, did you see that? Let's read it again. Uh, Acts chapter 15, verse, verse 1. Uh, it's, it, <laughs> don't miss it. Certain men which came down, and we say down from Judea, and I'm kind of like you. Uh, if you don't really come down and you go north. I don't know where I even grew up, even in North Dakota. This is hard to believe. It's flat as a pancake. But I grew up south of Tuttle, North Dakota, and it was up north because they were higher than we were. So it's always hard for me to look at a map and say up north. But literally, it's because it's, it's wrong. Jerusalem would have actually been higher because it was sitting on a plateau. They came down from there to go to Antioch in Syria. So they've come to headquarters of the Gentile church. They have a mission. They're going to teach these guys the right way to be saved. They're going to show them the way to be saved. Now, probably a good intention. Now, I want to mark some. This is something we read deeper into the chapter, but I want you to see how did they come? Now, zealous? were they zealous? Were they earnest? Ho, ho, ho. Would you go that far to tell somebody how to get saved? No, they were zealous. Think of, think of Saul before he became Paul. Whoa, his whole mission was waking up in the morning, have a breakfast of whatever he ate, and he was out there to conquer and to kill Christians. That's zealous, but he was sincerely wrong, just as these folks are. Now, let's go to turn just momentarily, verse 24 of chapter 15. It's clearly stated in this letter that is written as a result of James, the, 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 the leader of the church in Jerusalem, is writing a letter from them to encourage the church in Antioch. And what he says here in verse 24 is noteworthy. For as much as we have heard that certain which went out 
uh, from us have troubled you with words, subverting your souls, saying, you must be circumcised and keep the law, to whom we gave no such commandment. In other words, they didn't come from the church. They come of their own volition. They went to literally thwart the gospel message in Antioch of Syria. Now, for a moment, I want you to just put on your, your Jewish sandals for a little bit. I want you to slip in. Because there's a part of this is easy because of tradition and background. Some of you sitting here today, quite honestly, have backgrounds in other churches that were very legalistic, may have had traditions that would have been superior to the Word of God. Not that it ever is stated that way, but it's interesting to watch. I like to take a step back from a quote-unquote church and watch what they really adhere to. Do they adhere truly to the Bible, or do they adhere to traditions of men? Do they traditions of law that was much longer ago that they can't even decide what it was about or where it came from? And not to bore you that I've heard it many times, but traditions are just as simple as this. Um, there was a young couple that got married, and I don't remember their names, but we'll call them Jack and Jill, just for safety. <laughs> and they were, and of course, Jack being early in the marriage was very engaged, uh, no pun intended, to being involved with his wife in the kitchen. He's everywhere she is, Jack wants to be there. That's what he, he's, he's a young husband, right? He's, he's ready to be there. Um, and so they're making this, making this ham on this particular day. And Jack is watching with anticipation, watching Jill prepare this. And Jill just takes his ham on and she's got a roaster and she knocks off both ends off the ham and throws it away and then puts the ham in the, in the, in the roaster. And Jack being this one that hadn't spent a lot of time in the kitchen with his mother, probably, says, now why did you do that? Oh, my mother did that. That's the way my mother did it. Well, let's call your mother. Jack being the one to get to the bottom of something. Now, that's what's really important for you as well. You'll find traditions that you adhere to, something that's important in your life, that you may even subconsciously be adding on to faith. Okay? You need to get to the bottom of it. Where did that come from? So Jack and Jill, Jill calls her mother. She says, Mom, we were just making a ham, and like I've always learned from you, I cut the ends of the ham off before I put it in the roaster. Why did you do that? Well, my mom always did it that way. Oh, so grandma did it. Yeah, grandma did it. Well, you know what Jack's going to do. Let's call grandma. So they call grandma. Grandma, why did you cut the ends of the ham off? Well, honey, it was because my roaster was too small. <laughs> now, that's how a tradition has started. And you know what? There's no basis for it. And when the word, this is, this is what's important. Be like the Bereans. Study to show yourselves approved. Take the word of God and make sure your traditions are inside the book. If the traditions are outside of the reality of God's word, throw the tradition away. Not the Bible, the tradition. And that's why we could just as well use traditions as works up here. I'm going to write that word up because I want, I want you to see it. And we all have, because of how we grew up, there are pet traditions. There are things that we adhere to that actually have as much basis many times as the Word of God. If you do that, you are missing out on really making salvation, the gospel, as clear and concise as it could be. So these legalistic, and I'm going to, I'm going to use that word in regards to these Jew, this Judaizers. That's another term that's used, Judaizers. Um, they're asking, and I've told you to put your sandals on, and I'm not, and I've stayed straight away. You watched me run down that bunny trail. But let's come back. I want you to put your Jewish cap on, your Jewish sandals, and I want you to think about this for a moment. 
Uh, you're one now that has been growing up in family tradition. You've grown up learning the Old Testament. You've learned from your father, your grandfather, the long, long tradition, the line of how God has chosen the Jews as his people. And now Paul or someone came into your life and declared Jesus Christ is the fulfillment of historical, everything that God wanted to happen, happened. I, I say that carefully. God used what man did, and he, he, he fulfilled what needed to be done for man to be saved. Okay? I would say it more clearly that way. Jesus Christ was the Messiah. He was the one that fulfilled all of the prophecies coming through the Old Testament, and he is your Messiah, who you as a people killed at the hands of the Romans. But the lights went on, and you said, it truly is Jesus. And now for us, we have an advantage. If there's a Jew, Jewish friend you have, I would invite them to go to Matthew chapter 1, verse 1. Even though they'll see that as, as, as something that's outside of the Old Testament, I want them to disprove the heritage and the lineage of Jesus Christ. Because they can't do that. Because theirs was wiped out in A.D. 70. The temple and everything that was of Jewish historical ancestry and history was wiped out completely, burned and gone forever. But Matthew 1.1 1, 1 will stand the test of time. Jesus Christ, just like it was prophesied, came from the line of David, came from the line of Judah. He came exactly as he was supposed to, born in exactly the town that was described. He came exactly just in every way, shape, or form, which is, just, I mean, is just outside of the realm of possibility. And they finally see it. If there's a Jew that sees it today, we call him a Messianic Jew. They see Jesus for their Messiah. The Jews as a nation will not see that until the end of the tribulation, which I think is fast approaching. I think we're getting there quickly. Our generation is, we, we have to be close. Never seen the mark, the, the movement of revelation. It's just tick, 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 tick. Jesus Christ could come at any moment. Now, every generation has believed that. That is true. But never have I seen it so clearly right now. Jesus could come before I end this sentence, and it would fit the parallels of time. But at that point, the tribulation will begin. God will be working exclusively again with the Jews. What's happened because the Jews rejected Jesus as a nation, we are the recipients of the grace period. We should be thanking God for the Jews to have rejected Christ. Because you wouldn't be here. <laughs> it's doubtful you would be here. And here we are because they rejected him. We're living in this wonderful, word, this wonderful age of grace. Now, if you're that Jew again and you're thinking, wow, isn't that great? I finally see it. I finally see it. I see that Jesus fulfills the law. He's my Messiah. He saved me. And that's the way everybody else should see it. Now, enter into a Gentile that just happened. No, no, no don't, don't worry about Cornelius. Remember, he was described to us as a devout man. He was one that was actually following, if you will, from a distance, the God of the Jews. He was devout. But now let's take... Let's take the crazy Gentile that's wild and crazy, the party animal. Okay, now you don't have to go too far around here, right? You'll find one or two of those guys or girls, right? Think of that for a second. And boom, Jesus Christ gets a hold of them. And they just come into the fold through faith, by faith, by grace. And you say, if you're a Jew, that's craziness. You can't do it that way. And they actually saw it as having two doors. You'd have to, let's say you were, coming, you were coming to salvation, and you'd come through this door to come through another door. It was like you had to come through the door of Judaism to get to the door of Christianity. 
because Jesus came from a Jewish background. So yeah, you can sell that, can't you? It's not fair to come without having to go through all the stuff we went through. Think of the sacrificial system. Our dads and granddads and great-granddads and all of those people. And, oh, my goodness, right? I mean, how many sheep did we have to slaughter for our sins? And now the Gentile can just walk in? He can just walk into Jesus and it's okay? Do you see? Do you see where they're coming from? But what they miss is it was never, ever about legalism. Let me tell you the difference between legalism and law. Um, and not putting on the spot, but if I say law and I say legalism, too often in our minds we want to put those on the same shelf. No. Let me try to tell you the difference. Uh, let me ask this question first. Is God against the law? Even though Jesus Christ fulfilled it, now we have the Old Testament, which was demands of the law, which actually was used in Galatians' term as a schoolmaster. The law is what brought us to Christ because we could see we could not adhere to it. There are people today that say, you must receive Jesus Christ as your personal Savior and keep the Ten Commandments. Well, which is it? Uh, <laughs> right? Because if you, if you make the Ten Commandments the prerequisite, then you're not living by grace. Then you're not letting Jesus Christ, having fulfilled the not guilty, the paid in full message. There's a big difference. The law, but let's look at how God is even described as the law in the New Testament. Um, let's go to Romans chapter 7. Uh, Paul's word. Now, this is another thing. We, don't we have an advantage today? As you're sitting here today, and, you, and we're able to go to the book of Romans because now the Bible is complete. But if you were a Christian living as, this, as these people would have cruised from Jerusalem, uh, Judea up here to Tarsus of Syria and said, you know what? You can't be saved unless you are circumcised. And they could go back into the Old Testament. They could see where Abraham, the Abrahamic covenant, was based upon circumcision. They could say, that's how you got to become a Jew. And you have to be a Jew because that's what Jesus was before you can actually literally be saved. It sells, doesn't it? But see, for us, we can spin forward and pick up in the book of Romans and see something. First of all, we've seen the universality of sin. Look at uh, Romans chapter 3 and verse 23. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Ooh, that's pretty foretelling, isn't it? Jew, Gentile, Greek, Roman, doesn't matter. All sin, all come short of the glory of God. That's a bummer. That doesn't sound good. So let's look at Romans chapter 7 now. And let's start in verse 7. Romans 7, 7. What shall we say then? Is the law sin? God forbid. No, I have not known. I had not known sin, but by the law. For I had not known lust, except the law had said, thou shalt not covet. The Ten Commandments showed me that I was a sinner. But sin, taking occasion by the commandment, wrought in me all manner of concupiscence. For without the law, sin was dead. I didn't even know there was sin until the law was there. For I was alive without the law once, but when the commandments came, sin revived and I died. And the commandment which was ordained to life I found to be unto death. For sin, taking occasion by the commandment, deceived me and by it slew me. Now watch verse 12. Wherefore, the law is holy, and the commandment holy and just and good. What then? That which is good made death unto me. God forbid. But sin, that it might appear sin, worketh death in me by that which is good, that sin by the commandment might become exceeding sinful. For we know the law is spiritual, but I am carnal, sold under sin. So is the law the problem? No, it's not. Law is good. In fact, in the Old Testament, if you take the Old Testament uh, methodology that, that God used, 
Um, we could go to even think of Second Chronicles chapter 7, verse 14. If you will humble yourselves, right? In fact, let's go to that's a passage that we use in America, which isn't really for us. It's for the nation, but God would appreciate us actually humbling ourselves, I'm sure, and we would have some good results. Let's go to Second Chronicles chapter 7 and verse 14. He gave this to Solomon. He said, if my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and will heal their land. That's how God worked in the Old Testament. If you obey, I will bless. You can go to Exodus, you can go to Leviticus, you can go all over in the, New, in the Old Testament, and it's repeatedly said this way. If you obey, I will bless. Okay? That's using the law as your adherence to, and you obey it, you're blessed. Okay? Now, in the New Testament, that's very, very different. Let's go to Ephesians for a moment. This is crazy, the difference. Because, now, I, stop, before you do that. It's so easy to fall into this trap. God will like me more if I obey his commandments. I can't tell you how many people, oh, I failed. If I could, if I, I just, I need to obey. I need to take care of it. Then God will love me more. Then I'll, then I'll be blessed. No, a thousand times no. That's not how it is. God couldn't like you any more than he does. He couldn't love you any more than he already does. Because how much love would it take for him to send Jesus Christ to die for you in a sinful state? That's love. That is maximum love. But watch this now. So in other words, Old Testament, you obey, I bless. In the New Testament, watch this. Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians chapter 1, it says this. Uh, a letter from Paul, nonetheless. Here we go. Paul, an apostle, verse 1, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God, to the saints which are at Ephesus, and to the faithful in Christ Jesus, grace be to you, and peace from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who hath blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ. You have all of the blessings now in Christ. So what are we to do with that? If we have all the blessings, that Christ, it's in Christ now. If you're not in Christ, you have no blessings. Make sure you understand that. It's in Christ. Okay? If you're not in Christ, you're dead in sin. You are dead in sin apart from Christ. But this is the key. Now, if you take Ephesians and you break it into two parts, you have the doctrinal part of it, the thinking right. You can't, you can't live right until you're thinking right. That's so true, isn't it? You wake up in the morning, you have the wrong thought process, you have the wrong mentality. Uh, you're going to live wrong. It's just the way it is. You've got to think right to live right. So look how he opens. So if we think about this, Ephesians has how many chapters? Quick quit, six, right? So the first three are all about theology, if you will, doctrine, good thinking. Chapter 4, verse 1 starts with living, the real living. Now, did you see I opened in chapter 1? You have all the spiritual blessings. Jesus Christ has paid for it, and you have it all. Now watch. Now, Old Testament, obey you get blessed. New Testament, you're blessed in Christ. Now watch. Verse, verse 1, chapter 4 of Ephesians. This is the living part. He says, I therefore, all of the stuff I've talked about before about living, uh, thinking right, I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you that you walk worthy. In other words, you have all of the blessings. Walk accordingly. See, it's in reverse, isn't it? We're not, we're not obeying to get blessings. We already have the blessings. 
So we should walk worthy of that. It's, see, we're not saved by works. We're saved unto works. Let's look at those verses. That's a, that's a verse that many times are left out. If I said some of your favorite verses, you would probably say Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9. Maybe. Okay. Maybe not. Let's go there. Let's go to Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9. But I want to make sure, and we're already in Ephesians, turn back to chapter 2. Because he wants to get you saved before he tells you how to live. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8. It says this, for by, this fits perfectly over time, for by grace are you saved through faith. And that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. What is? Faith itself, not of works, lest any man should boast. Now, what part of that did we miss? Is there anything, did, 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 what, 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 what part of that did, did they miss? They were too full of tradition, weren't they? They were too full of tradition. So, it's not by work, but watch now. Watch verse 10. This is the one we leave out. This is like, because this is the part two. We've got people running around there that are feeling that their liberty allows them to just do anything they want to do because Christ paid for it. We can do anything, live any way we want. No, that is slavery again. That is slavery. Someone that tells you, I choose to get drunk. I choose to have an immoral life. I No, you don't. Apart from Jesus Christ, you can't stop doing that. You're not liberated. You're totally enslaved by sin. Tell someone to stop. Well, I don't want to. No, you can't. (laughs) It's Jesus Christ that breaks that chain of bondage. But as soon as we start to fall into the sense of, see, what I haven't defined for you yet is legalism. There's nothing wrong with the law. Law is fine. God made it. Because if you call that that God is throwing the law away, then you've missed it all. God created it. Why would he throw something away that's created? It's paid for. Jesus Christ fulfilled it. But legalism is different. Legalism is an attitude. It's an attitude. These legalists, these Judaizers, they came there and they said, because we're circumcised, because we keep the law, we're better than you are. That's legalism. Keeping the law to show yourself to be worthy of self-glorification. The law fulfilled brings what? It brings God glory. Do you know what grace through faith brings to God maximum glory because he did it all. He sent Jesus Christ before the beginning of the world and he chose us in him before he made anything. Now that's maximum glory when you accept that. If you try to do it on your own, let's say you've got a 100 mile journey and you've done 99 miles on grace through faith. But the last mile, I think I can do that. You've thrown the whole journey away. That's the part that we miss. Is, and when you add to grace, you nullify grace. Grace is no longer grace. Galatians speaks of that. I think we'll find it in chapter 3. Let's go there for a moment. Gala- uh, let's see. I was in Ephesians. Galatians chapter 3. I hope this is right. Um, bum, 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 bum. Galatians chapter 3. Verse 1, we'll start. This is, this is a good passage anyway. Oh, foolish Galatians. And you see who he's talking to now? He's talking to all those people that were saved on the first missionary journey. Oh, foolish Galatians, who hath bewitched you that you should not obey the truth, before whose eyes Jesus Christ hath been evidently set forth, crucified among you. This only what I learn of you. Receive, received you the Spirit by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? How did you get the Holy Spirit? By keeping the law? Of course not. None of that makes any sense. Grace. Grace by faith. Now these people, these Judaizers, the legalists, were literally self... And you know people like this now. When you're 
workaholic from the standpoint of doing stuff in the church, whatever, you know, whatever. If you're doing stuff to gain a higher level, a higher approval of God, that's legalism. That's not adhering to the law because there is a law of love. Remember, Jesus Christ said, if you love me, you will you will obey my commandments, right? There's nothing wrong with obeying. In fact, if, if there would be no parameters, then grace is, is void as well. But you now have the power to be free. You have the power. One of the, I've maybe told you this on a, this is a personal level, but there's areas in every one of your lives that you struggle with. I mean, that's, that's the flesh nature. But part of it is where, who and where you grew up. Uh, all of that takes place. But there's, there's areas of your life you struggle more than others. There's other areas that, have no, that just doesn't matter to me, but it may be vicious to you. But somewhere sin is always there wanting to make you a slave. That's one of the things I say to, to young people. And I just, it doesn't matter if you're young or old, but one of the things that you miss early on is the fact, don't underestimate the power of sin. It will take you further, keep you longer, and hold you stronger than you ever could possibly have imagined. And I'll say out loud, I am no longer a slave to sin. Just hearing that from my own ears gives me power. Not because it's me, it's because Jesus Christ has broken that because I've trusted him by faith. That's receiving grace by faith. And reminding myself, I am no longer a slave to sin. And sometimes we put those, <laughs> you know, I heard this the other day, actually, it's really good. So in your closet, you've got the new clothes, right? You're putting on, and it's, it's very much like that, your apparel, you, you put on Ah, the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, meekness, kindness, temperance, faith. Against such there is no law. There's nothing wrong with any of that. So that's what you can hang in your closet, right? And you put those on. But you've got some boxes in the basement of clothes that used to be in that closet. And there's anger, and there's jealousy and there's see you guys are doing good you've probably got some of those in your basement too don't you it's amazing why don't we get rid of those bad things right but here's the really bad part this is where it makes jesus christ look impotent is when we go to our closet and we put on gentleness and then we go to the basement and we find let's see anger i'm going to put that on so you got gentleness and anger and you're going out in the public wearing that why does he say to put that stuff off because it has no part of you it's gone. It's dead. It's for, why don't we take those old clothes and throw them away? I don't know, but I've got some around too. They're habits, right? They're habits. That's really true. And it's grace that saves us. It's grace that filled the closet with the new clothes. Because if it was up to you, you know what? You wouldn't even got the other ones and put them in the basement. My point to you is today, make them go away. <laughs> take them to the green boxes. Take them and burn them. Take them and get rid of them. Because they will never know your love when you're wearing any part of those other apparel, right? When you're wearing anger or jealousy or pride, all of those other things that just come so naturally to self. And every one of those, isn't it? It promotes self. You're mad because self deserves more. You're prideful because self is that good. All of those things, they all revile around self. Self is the enemy. That's why you look at our system today, our world system, our society. Promote self at every level. Promote self at every level. Pay more, get more, more power. Me, 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 me. Everywhere. I, me, and myself at the biggest party you've ever seen. It's got to go away. And you know what? Legalism promotes self. Let me say that again. Legalism promotes self. 
Legalism surrounds itself potentially with the law of God, which is nothing wrong with it. But it takes it in such a way that the attitude is it promotes self in doing it. And that completely detracts and distracts from grace's full potential. When you add legalism to grace, you have nothing. Someone that tells me that their salvation can be lost. It wasn't worth anything to start with then. That means Jesus didn't pay for it. Because when at the end of the day, if your salvation is one that you can lose, and I'm using words that are are fluent, I believe in security. That's a word I believe. Eternal security in Jesus Christ's salvation by grace alone. The Holy Spirit seals you unto the day of redemption. There is nothing that you can add to it to make it any longer. He is there because He chose you. Isn't that fantastic? That's an amen and an amen. Amen. And if you don't have that kind of salvation, I'm going to tell you one thing. Get it. (laughs) And the only way you can get it is through grace and faith alone. You guys take care. (laughs) So now let's think about it. Now, this, this has to be a little bit of ourselves now, too. In, I've written some words down here. How many of those trap us sometimes to keep us from being wholly free in Christ? It's pretty easy, isn't it? Sometimes it's pretty subtle. Because can, I can recite from you here on a Sunday morning. I can say, absolutely, it is grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, through the Scripture alone, to give God glory alone. Doesn't that sound good? But how is it on a Monday? Boy, I tell you what, I don't know. Uh, I wonder if I'm doing enough. Am I do well, enough for what? You mean to gain God's acceptance? No, 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 no. That's Old Testament thinking. Remember, if you obey, I'll bless. No, you're blessed through Jesus Christ. There's, think right now. I can't even describe for you because I don't have a mind that's infinite. But if I can somehow give you my finiteness to unfold for you God's infinite package of blessings, I would love to do that. There's more than you can think. There's more than you can ask. There's more than you can imagine that are your spiritual blessings that are in heaven just waiting for you literally to grab them in the name of Jesus Christ. You didn't get it, did you? (laughs) It's too full, isn't it? It's too big. And yet that's exactly what it's about. All of eternity's blessings Jesus Christ brought to you And to make sure that you understood that that's real, he stamped you with the approval of none other than the Holy Spirit who is living in you to the day of your redemption. He isn't going anywhere. That's why I feel sorry for David, particularly for Saul. Saul never really did ever regain what he had. Now, how would you like to have this to be said of you? There was a day that Saul was the king. Of, of, of Israel. And God had placed his Holy Spirit. God the Holy Spirit was placed upon him. He was given insight. He was given wisdom. How did he lose it? Because of self. He took charge. He was going to be the most important. He was the one that was doing everything that made him look bigger and better. Right? And you know what the Holy Spirit did? 
left him. When David sinned against Bathsheba, David and Bathsheba sinned, and then he ended up sinning when he killed her husband. I mean, that intrigue, you talk about sin spreading. You read those chapters, and it's just, oh, my goodness, right? Ah, it's uncontrollable. Remember what David said in his prayer of, of repentance and confession to Jesus, or, uh, to God in, uh, I believe it's Psalm 51? Take not thy Holy Spirit from me. That could have happened in the Old Testament. Do you know that cannot happen to you, regardless of how Satan tries to say that that's a potentiality? If, oh, look what you did yesterday. Oh, he will leave you. No, a thousand times no. The Holy Spirit is a fixture in your life if you've trusted Jesus Christ as Savior by grace. I'm sorry, grace by faith alone. In fact, let's read it. I'm going to give you a verse to back that up. Let's go to uh, Ephesians. Are you, where are you at? Galatians? Let's go to Ephesians chapter 1. And let's look at verse 13 and 14. Speaking of Jesus Christ. You'll find this in Ephesians if you study this book. In whom? In him. It's all about Jesus Christ being in him. In whom? Verse 13, chapter 1. In whom you also trusted. That's believed after you heard the word of truth. That's exactly who he's talking to literally in Galatia. You heard the word of truth. The gospel of your salvation. Grace. In whom also after that you believed. Right after you believed. You were sealed. Sealed with what? With the Holy Spirit of promise, which is the earnest of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession of the praise of His glory. You know where the Holy Spirit's going to go? He's going to stay right with you all the way. Those low moments, those high moments, those moments of despair, those are moments where you don't think you can go on. I had a guy say the other day, he said, Larry, I, don't, I didn't even know what to pray. His, his, uh, actually, there's a, it would be an unnamed prayer request. There was a lady that... Um, uh, friends of mine uh, accompanied this lady that had, has had breast cancer and, and uh, surgery that very life-threatening at this point. P- please pray for her. But at any rate, this man told me, Larry, I, I don't even know what to pray. I said, that's the perfect moment in which the Holy Spirit that lives within us is praying for us. Let's take a look at that. Uh, because there's, there's moments like that. There's moments in my life that has been like that. I, I'm, I'm so overwhelmed. I'm so over. I don't even know what to, I don't know what to pray. Look at this. The Holy Spirit takes over. Let's go to Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8. <clears throat> oh, my goodness. Good stuff. I don't even know. Yeah, here, here in Romans 8, where do you start, right? It's all crazy. It's good. But I'm going to start in verse 1, and we're going to skip forward. This verse here, if you are in Christ Jesus, this needs to be part of your living statement. There is therefore now, verse 1, chapter 8, no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus. Praise God. Nothing. No condemnation. But look now. Look at verse 26, same chapter. Likewise, chapter 8, verse 26, likewise the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, also helpeth our infirmities. Those moments, those times when we just, we, we, we don't have it together. For we know not what we should pray for as we ought. Have you been there? You're, you're so overwhelmed. You don't even know what to pray. You don't even know how to pray. Sure you have. But the Spirit itself, not someone else, not the Spirit guiding, no, the Spirit itself maketh intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. And he searcheth the hearts, knoweth what is the mind of the Spirit, because he maketh intercession for the saints according to the will of God. And you don't think you have, what's the right word? Blessings? Blessings? spiritual blessings in heavenly places. 
You have the Holy Spirit living within you. And you know what? When you want to do this by yourself, it's not there. It's not even salvation. See, salvation by grace, uh, salvation by grace through faith gives you the Holy Spirit. If you're trying to do any part of salvation by yourself, if you're depending on anything for yourself, I don't know what else I could put up there, but if there's anything. These Judaizers came north to talk about circumcision, a medical feature. That's how they got salvation. You know what? They got nothing. It was dead. It was dead. It was works. There is no grace in works. There's none. In fact, let's watch. Let's watch the Hebrew account in Hebrews chapter 10. Let's read this account together. This is another passage of Scripture that you should read often. It it takes a little bit of time, verses 1 through 18. But this is literally the depiction of what Jesus Christ accomplished. Verse 10, chapter 10, I'm sorry, Hebrews chapter 10, verse 1. For the law having a shadow of good things to come. Isn't that exactly right? I have to stop there for a moment. Now think of this. If you were in the Old Testament and God said, if you obey, I will bless. Well, you sinned instead. Ah, now that's never happened to any of us here, right? <laughs> Whoa, of course it did, right? That's why we have 1 John chapter 1, verse 9. You should write that in your notes. I don't know if we'll get there. 1 John chapter 1, verse 9. If you're a Christian and you sin, you need to have a hold of 1 John chapter 1, verse 9. That's not to get salvation. That's to regain fellowship. Because all of us, and this is what Satan wants you to do. If you sin, first of all, he's in your, oh yeah, you'll get away with it. Nobody will notice. You can do it. You can do it. Oh, after you do you loser. God hates you. He's going to throw you away. There's nothing he'll ever have. That's when you pull out 1 John chapter 1, verse 9. Because if you confess your sin, he is faithful to forgive your sins and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. And you know what happens? You're regaining fellowship. That's why after we sin, the first thing we want to do is to hide and run away from God. Just like Adam and Eve did. Now think of that. It's even more miraculous for those two. Because if you think of the sinisterness and diabolicalness of sin, to be walking in the afternoon with God on on any afternoon, every afternoon, not some, every afternoon, walking with God. Let me say it again. Walking with God in the garden. And I don't know why, but I'm just thinking lemonade. It's got to be good. It's just got to be great. And then they sin. And they don't run to their master, to their God. They run away. Which would be the worst thing for them, obviously. But it's also the worst thing for us if we sin when we're in Christ, is to run away from God. Oh, I've done wrong. He hates me. No! He wants you to confess that sin and to live up to everything he gives you the power to be, and he's got his arms out waiting for you to return. That's where he wants us, in his arms. And Satan does not ever want that to happen. Do you see how refreshing it is to see what grace really is? Now, if I'm working for that, it never happens. Peace in a works program? That's not reality. I'm thinking of churches today, I'm using that word loosely, that literally tradition has risen to the level they have checklists of what you have to do to be able to adhere to a membership. That's drudgery. Totally. And it's also anti-God. It's anti-salvation. It's not about Jesus, because we're adding to. If you add anything to Jesus Christ, you don't have any of him. 
It's like building a bridge <laughs> over the Grand Canyon. I've often talked about, you know, it's, it's like sin is what's done to you is like for you. You're on the edge of the Grand Canyon and you've got to get to heaven and it's on the other side of the Grand Canyon. Now, I think Paul and I, I was, I, was, I was saying that I could jump farther than Paul if I got the right tennis shoes and I got the right pants or whatever they call those running things or whatever, shorts. <laughs> Yeah, right. And I, 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 right, right. And I've got this launch that I can get out there. But it doesn't matter if I can go, jump 10 feet further than Paul. I'm still going to end up at the bottom of Grand Canyon. But it would be like building a bridge with Jesus Christ, but you're going to... And I, had, I actually had... I, was gonna, I almost said the name of it. It was a, a, a young man that came from a cult that visited my ranch up here. And I, it, it's a long story. It's amazing how God does this stuff. But we had sold a property in eastern Montana to a family that was involved in this cult. And there was a man that was there, a young kid, right? And believe it or not, he ends up just out here on some trip or something, and he walks into the place. And we're like, what are you guys doing? What are you doing here? But anyway, let me get cut right to the chase. I said, here's the deal. It's all about Jesus Christ. And it's he took, he took, and took salvation, and he boxed it, and he's handing it to you. And he responded, but I have to do my part. I said, what part is it that you're going to do that Jesus didn't get done to save you? Well, we just have to, you have to, you know, have to do my part. I said, that's not, it's not going to work. It's like building a bridge halfway across the Grand Canyon, jumping from there, right? It doesn't matter. The results are the same. You can't get grace with anything added to Jesus Christ. So finally, I told them, I started, it's a longer conversation when I'm making it. But I said, I'll tell you what, if you told a little tiny white lie, I don't know what that is, but it sounds pretty innocuous, doesn't it? It sounds like it's just a little bitty thing. Well, he says, that's different. In other words, it's okay. See, this is the problem with works. If, if Paul's works program works for him, it's okay because in his mind, it rationalizes and it makes it work. And for this young man, apparently, I finally hit on it because I had tried bigger sins. Well, you couldn't possibly get to heaven on that. I said, you're right. It's in the basis of salvation in Jesus Christ who paid for that sin. And then when I said the tiny white lie, it was like, well, that's different. Ah, now I had him. Because then we went to James chapter 2, verse 10, which says, if you offend the law in one point, you're guilty of all. And I made him go to, to the Bible. Well, I guess, yeah, he had, he had a Bible. We, we opened the Bible, and it was 210. I said, read that for me. And he's reading it, and he's literally doing this. I said, what does that mean? I don't know. And he turned in. Well, I said, I'm going to be praying for you. And I hope he fit, I, that's the last I've ever seen of him. But God used that episode to at least open his eyes that he needed to deal with that. There isn't anything we can do about any of our sin. He was just picking the sins that he was okay with. Isn't that the way it works? Faith. Let's look what Peter said. Um, how's our time? Oh, we got time, right? Let's <laughs> Uh-oh, I hear laughter. We better keep moving. Did, no, we didn't even do what we went to do. No, I have to stop. I have to stop. We're still in Hebrews, right? Okay, because I really do want to read this. This capsulizes literally the fight that we have. And it, it takes the law and it puts it in a proper perspective. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 1. For the law, oh, that we didn't get very far, did we? That's what we said. For the law having a shadow of good things to come. It was a shadow. It was showing what would come, what could fulfill that, which was Jesus Christ. And not the very image of the things can never 
with the sac I'm sorry, with those sacrifices. Did you see where they'll never? Just underline it. With those sacrifices, which they offered year by year, continually making the comers thereon perfect or mature or, you know, whatever you want to call it for that day. And then, for then, would they not have ceased to have offered? In other words, it was complete, would be done, because that the worshippers once purged should have no more conscience of sins. But in those sacrifices, there is a remembrance again made of sins every year. For it is not possible that the blood of goats, of bulls and of goats, should take away sins. Can't happen. Wherefore, when he cometh into the world, he saith, Sacrifice and offering thou wouldest not, but a body hast thou prepared me. In burnt offerings and sacrifices, for sin thou hast no pleasure. Then said I, Lo, I come, in the volume of the book it is written to me, Do thy will, O God, above when, he said, Sacrifice and offering and burnt offerings and offering for sin thou wouldest not, neither hast pleasure therein which are offered by the law. Then said he, Lo, I come to do thy will, O God. He taketh away the first that he may establish the second. By the which will we are sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. And every priest standing daily ministering and offering oftentimes the same sacrifice which had never take away sins. But this man, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down at the right hand of God from henceforth expecting till his enemies be made his footstool. For by one offering he hath perfected forever them that are sanctified, whereof the Holy Ghost also is a witness to us. For after that he has said him, had said before, This is the covenant I will make with them after those days, saith the Lord. I will put my laws into their hearts and into their minds while I write them, and their sins and iniquities will I remember no more. Now, where remission of these is, there is no more offering of sin. Now, did you see that? There's actually, when you're saved, God puts his law in your heart. You have the ability now to do what God desires of you to do. Not through your power, but through his. All of the pressure is put on Jesus Christ. Every single solitary fiber of sin was paid for of Jesus Christ. As, you were, as you're thinking even about you when, you, when Jesus Christ was hanging on that cross over 2,000 years ago, how many of your sins was in his past? Not one. Every single sin of yours was in the future. Now, we have sins from today... Whatever today is, what is it? October 8th, 2023. There are sins in our future that he's paid for as well, if you're in him. If you're not in him, then those are sins that haven't been paid for, just like the ones in your past haven't been paid for. Until you accept Jesus Christ, his grace by faith, you were dead in trespasses and sins. And if you're working your way through, if you're adding to Christ's work, you have no salvation. That's the message that Jesus, uh, Paul, he's, he's, he's at war with this. He's at war with this. It's so vicious, the results of what could happen here. We must be prepared to stand for grace alone, just as they did. In fact, take a look at Galatians chapter 1. He very specifically says, this is, this is hardcore. If you take a position of adding to grace... Right out of chapter 1 of Galatians, the first, let's just look at verses 8 and 9. Uh, let's start at verse 6, actually. Verse 6. I marvel that you are so soon removed from him that called you into the grace of Christ unto another gospel, which is not another, but there be some that trouble you and would pervert the gospel of Christ. But though we, 
or an angel from heaven preach any other gospel unto you than that which we have preached unto, let him be accursed. That's strong language. That's strong language. And he means it. He means every, every part of it. So let's go back to Acts for a moment. Acts chapter 15, and let's bring this further along. So ultimately, Paul and Barnabas, they're, they're doing a, a, it's a deep dissension that's in Antioch. It's decided by the elders in verse 3 that, why don't you guys go to Jerusalem? Why did they go to Jerusalem? Well, that was the head point of the, of the uh, beginning of the church, the Feast of Pentecost. That's where the apostles were at, where the disciples were at. There was the Council of Jerusalem. Now, not that it had to be, now, I wanna, again, I want to make very clear, every one of those churches that Paul founded was autonomous. It was responsible for its own group of people. God placed enough gifted people within each one of those, pe- preachers, teachers, all of that, all of the gifts of the Spirit, that literally it's autonomous. It did not have to be under anyone else's rule. I'm going to be careful to say that. But there were times when a, a group or a council would meet in the sense of making sure that we get things right principally and, the- and theologically. The, the, the Jerusalem council of where they went, actually went would have been made up of the apostles and elders. So they go there. They go to the church in, in uh, Jerusalem, and they're received of them. And then it says that in verse 5, there was a certain of the sect of Pharisees which believed. These were different from the ones that were in verse 2. Those were actually Judaizers. These are Pharisees that were believers. They said it's needful to circumcise them and command them to keep the law of Moses. This is where tradition lies in. And for them, they felt because we're a Jew, that's what we, that's what we do. There's a basis of being a Christian that you have to be a Jew with Christ, okay? That's what they did. That was their contention. So now it's before Peter. Peter's the one that stands up. And there's a lot of dispute. In fact, look at verse, uh, verse uh, 7. Just it says very, uh, Luke, Luke, the writer of Acts, leaves a lot of stuff out. He says, when there had been much disputing. Can you imagine that meeting? I was listening a little bit. Sometimes I'll listen to the uh, some congressional stuff going on. I, I can't listen very long. It's just too much. It's over the top for me. I just have to hang up the, the whatever, what the phone. I'm not that I'm on the phone. You understand. I just, I can't listen to it. I can't imagine how distressing that probably would have been as well. And it seems as Peter's just sitting there taking it all in. He's listening. And finally he says, he says, men and brethren, I want to tell you a few things. It's God that chose the Gentiles. I did it through Cornelius. It was, it was opened up to the whole Gentile world, salvation. He speaks to that. He speaks to the fact that it's really literally of God. It was God's idea. And by the way, he says, we also, the Holy Spirit was given to them just as he was to us. The gift of the Holy Spirit. You remember that? That was so critical uh, in Judea, how they started at Jerusalem. It was easy for the Jews to receive the Holy Spirit. And then remember the Samaritans? Peter had to go there because this is the key to understanding the Holy Spirit in different phases. There are people today that believe you have to pray for the Holy Spirit. You have to pray for that to happen. No, no. What was important was the beginning of the church. The Jews received the Holy Spirit at Pentecost. What would be the worst thing that could have happened if the Samaritan believers who were half Jews, they they did not even, I mean, the Jews would walk around that country. They wouldn't even go through it. And for them to say that the same Holy Spirit has them, that's craziness. But Peter was there to say, absolutely, look at this. The Holy Spirit, the same one that we've received, 
these men and women are speaking in different languages to prove it's the same spirit so they're part of the same church. It's another thing. Have you noticed there's always divisions and dissensions from God's real church? Satan's wanting to split it up, to break it up, splits. I remember uh, attending, uh, more than attending, it was a church that I grew a lot in. I'll, I'll not say the name, but at the, church, at the front of the church was, was curtains. That was, there was a, uh, a picture, a painting actually behind it. And it, what it did is it showed Jesus Christ being the, the cross. The cross is what laid the bridge from sinful men to heaven. Okay, Absolutely true. It's absolutely true. The only way that sinners can get to heaven is through the cross of Jesus Christ. It was beautiful. I still, it's in my mind. I'll never get it out. It's right there. But behind, that was covered up with curtains. And these happened to be purple. And it just about caused a church fight. Because there was people in that church didn't like that color. We need to have a different color curtain. Now all I can say is, that's pettiness that's, divide, that's dividing something that is of God. Isn't it amazing how sinister Satan is just moving around? I don't remember how, it, I don't even know what happened. Maybe they just took the curtains off the wall. That's what I'd have probably done. Just leave it there. Just take the curtains off the wall. Let's just show Jesus is being the bridge. Right? It's all about Jesus. That's all I got to say. It's all about Jesus Christ. And if you take him out of, out of anything, if you take any of it out of him, you have nothing left. We have nothing left. Well, I think we're going to come back and revisit next week here, but if you think about it, so Peter, Peter's laying the groundwork. He's the apostle. He's the one. Why would, why would he be the speaker? This is, again, a key component. In Matthew chapter 16, the church was not built on Peter. That was a play on words. On this rock? No, no. Not on Peter. It was on the fact of what Peter said, the big rock. Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. When asked the question, who do you say that I am? And he said perfectly, thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. On that rock will the church be be obeyed. Absolutely true. But then he said, you, Peter, will have the keys of the kingdom. That's why Peter had the key to open up the church at Pentecost. That's why Peter had the key to open up the church of Samaria. That's why he had the key to open up Cornelius's, the Gentile church. And now he's speaking to the fact of it is salvation by grace alone. And he speaks to that again. And then Paul and Barnabas in verse 12, they say, I'll tell you what, you can't believe what happened on our, on our trip. You won't believe the miracles that took place. Did you see what the people responded by? There's a lot of disputing. I love this. This is when God's spirit is there. Peter... Uh, well, in fact, look at verse 11. It's, it's beautiful, a way to end. He said, we believe that through the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, we shall be saved even as they. Now, what he would have, could have said, they can be saved like us. But he even reversed it. He said, we can be saved like them. <laughs> think of that now. Just think of how he stated that. We, the Jews, can be saved like the Gentiles. What? <laughs> now, there's power in that, isn't there? And then look what happened. It says, then all the multitude kept silence. Oh, that's a good silence to have. Then they said they gave audience to Barnabas and Paul, declaring what miracles and wonders God had wrought among the Gentiles by them. And after they had held their peace, James said, Men and brethren, hearken unto me. And he declares out of Amos, if you want to write this down in your notes, we'll come back next week, I believe. Uh, Amos chapter 9, verses 11 and 12. Literally, God is speaking that he would use the Jews to bring the Gentiles into the, in the millennial kingdom. So why would it be any different now? And then he says, let's write a letter. We're going to talk about this next week. There are four things. It's not conditions of salvation. 
I mark that carefully. We're not talking about salvation anymore. We're talking about what we would call in Romans chapter 14, the weaker brethren. In other words, what would be the worst thing that could happen to a Jew is to have meat that had been offered to an idol prepared at a meal. If they knew that took place, it would blow them up. It has nothing to do with salvation. It has to do, again, with the law of love. How much do we love our fellow brothers and sisters? Is it more than can we exercise liberty or to refrain from liberty and even in small things to be able to make sure that we're operating in love? That's what that's about. I think we're going to talk a lot more about that next week. But here's the point today. We can go, you can go anywhere today and you can find it's usually grace with something else added. Jesus Christ plus something. And I'll just tell you this right now. If you're adding anything to Jesus Christ, it is nothing is what you get. Jesus Christ plus anything else equals no salvation. That's a message that's a war today. There are men and women that are going to hell today because they've tried to add to grace. It's all about legalism. Tell me the difference between legalism and law. Law is really holy. It's the commandments of God. We're not without law today. We have the law of love. How, do, how, do the, how does the world know that we... He said to his disciples on the night they were gathered for the last time, they will know you are Christians by your love for, yourself, for others, right? It's very true. That's the law of love. You'll find um, there's several other laws in the New Testament that literally are written on our hearts, okay? Legalism is taking the law and adding an attitude for it that makes us be glorified in our own eyes. That's legalism, and that is hellish in its nature. That's what Satan would want everybody to glorify in themselves. Because if you're glorifying in yourselves and you've bought the same lie that Satan did, he bought the first lie ever. He believed he was God. And he's paying an eternal price for that. May we be careful. Mark it down. It is a war. Grace plus nothing equals salvation. We're privileged. Look at, the, look at all of the things that we have, the attributes that God has given to us. We have the Holy Spirit living within us. <laughs> That's amazing, isn't it? That's amazing. You are the temple of the Holy Spirit. Now, I would speak, though, as well. Someone can hear my voice today, whether you're here or even on the Internet, whatever. Uh, be careful today that you don't underestimate what grace cost. That's why the Old Testament is important. That's why the law was given, to show the fact that there is a price to pay. God is just. He is holy. He is righteous. There is a price that must be paid for sin. Remember Adam and Eve? <laughs> they went to go get some fig leaves, right? They put those bad boys on, and God said, no, it's not like that. He went, and the first blood shed on the planet was done then because of sin and he put them in animal skins that's what totally blows apart anything in fact uh, maybe I'll leave you with this let's go to Romans chapter 5 verse 12 Romans chapter 5 verse 12 wherefore by as by one man sin entered into the world and death by sin and so death passed upon all men for that all have sinned. That verse actually takes evolution and just throws it right out the door. Because the first time death ever entered this planet, this system, was when sin happened at the Garden of Eden when Adam and Eve sinned. 
And if you're into evolution, if someone believes that, then there's a whole lot of death. There's a whole lot of structure. There's a whole lot of falling off. There's a whole lot of stuff. And none of that happened if the death came through sin, because nowhere else could have it entered the planet. God and God alone provided a way for salvation. And it's grace by faith alone. Did I read Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10? I didn't do that, did I? Okay, I, why did that pop in my mind now? Because it's important. You're not saved by works, you're saved unto good works. Let's go. Let's, I promise I will finish here. Ephesians chapter 2, let's read verses 8 and 9 one more time, and then I'm going to add verse 10, which is exactly where it belongs. For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. Even faith is a gift, not of works, lest any man should boast. Watch verse 10. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. Isn't that exactly right? That even takes place now when you take Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1, to walk worthy. To walk worthy of having all the spiritual blessings that he's put in our lives. That was overwhelming. Too much, right? Questions or comments? This is a really big deal. How are we saved? How are we saved? Don't let traditions overrule you. I've got a man I need to pray for. He's trapped in old traditions in a quote-unquote church. He says he's saved, but I see too much of dependence on traditions. So which is it? <laughs> is it traditions or is it the Word of God? Make your choice. Can't have them both, right? Are you cutting your ham off? <laughs> Not hand, ham, H-A-M. Is your pan too small, right? My, <laughs> my God is too big for anything that I could offer or give to him. His requirements are too high. It's too over the top. My life has to be completely soaked up in Jesus Christ and he alone. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for the day. Thank you for your love. Thank you for your care. Thank you for the word. Thank you for the fact that we have the truth in front of us. Regardless of how crazy this world is and where it's going and whatever it's up to, Father, there are no saving great white knights. There's only Jesus Christ. Are we saved or are we not saved? That there is the number one question. And anyone that does not trust that Jesus Christ is their Savior and Lord is not saved. If they're trusting anything in addition to Jesus Christ, they more than likely are not saved. Grace is in Jesus Christ by faith alone. In Him alone. Father, may that be preached from the highest raptures in every possible location. May the Word of God permeate our, our souls, our lives, our country, our states, so that literally men and women know that Jesus Christ died for them. Father, take us and use us as you need to. Purify us, mold us, perfect us, one step at a time. One chip at a time, Father. We know you're not finished with us yet. We thank you. We pause to thank you, humble, humbly bowing before you in your presence, thanking you for Jesus. In his name, amen.